We got to do that. We should add this segment from like Wayne's World where Garth screws it up or whatever. Mm. Their homie, the rock and roll. Three, two. (laughs) That's how we should start the show every time. (laughs) What up, E? What are you saying? You're you're Alma learned to, to count, huh? Alma can count to 10. What? It's wild. She can almost get her on the show. She can almost say the ABC song and she can count to 10. What? They grow up so fast. Can we, uh, can she premiere that live on (laughs) (laughs) show? We can do our intro. Often she'll just start at four. She'd be like, four, five, six, seven. seven. (laughs) Then we're like, okay, what do we do now? That's great. Well, 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 well. What's going on, buddy? We're back. Yeah, I feel like it's been so long. I mean, we went like almost 40 weeks. Is that true? Is is that fake news? How many weeks we schmoozed? I don't know. We went from from May until we went like eight months. Eight times four is 30. Yeah, 32, 35 maybe. 30, 30 something schmoozes. I mean. In 2020. I've I gotta see if I remember how to schmooze. <laughs> we took it's, it's, so it's been three weeks. It's been three weeks. We took off there's better light. See, I forgot how to turn on my light. This is right? much better now. Where's your plant, dude? Um, it's kind of like it's back there, but it's kind of it's a little scraggly. I lost a couple leaves. Oh no! I was I haven't been. You know, this is my like office where I do where I work, and this is like I was off from school, so like holiday time was like for real vacation. It's so funny being back in school because you actually get a winter break. Oh, so good old school. I took two weeks doing nothing. No, no emails, no phones. I mean, a little bit of those things, but mostly just hanging out with friends and watching television and drinking and eating. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> no, the, the other things, that's what you do when you skip school. Usually <laughs> all the other things. Yeah. I don't think people, people don't skip grad school. Do they? I mean, what's the point, right? You're there because you want to be there. Ditching at homeroom or whatever. You you know, I did skip one class. There was one day I was kidding. I was one day I was just like, I can't do this. You'll never change right now. I can't. (laughs) Playing hooky. Which class was it? Um it was my um my policy, my my environmental policy class. Holy you know, sometimes it's just a lot of talking in that class. And I was just, <laughs> You're like, I'm out of here. Wait, so, but how many, there's not so many people in your, in your grade though, right? There's, um, there's, there's 16 of us in the program. Oh, okay. Cause I'm, so do they small. like call attended like Goldstein, Goldstein? <laughs> I mean, once again, it's like, you go, you, you, your choice <laughs> not to go. It's a, yeah. we're adults now. It's not <laughs> like being in high school. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. How's your, how was your break? I mean, it was good. It's weird. I didn't. I mean, I'm not comfortable traveling, so I didn't get to see fam, and that's tough, man. It was tough. Um, but you know, weather-wise, it's cool down here, and uh, we got to start this. Our ch- Twitch channel was so much fun. The years was great. Yes, it was a great start. And uh, then I was getting ready. Also, I did an art, another art installation over the weekend um, at a farm in the Redlands called. called Aloha Farms, and basically, small group of liberal women who run this farm and do a CSA. Is that what it's called? Farm yeah. share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they've got all types of stuff growing there, but also throw in the whole 
tropical twit twist. So there's you know papaya trees and mom huge mame trees and all types of stuff, banana trees. But they've got chickens and blah blah blah. But the cool feature is they somebody there is has a architectural background and so they have like they know how to work with CAD and they designed this whole lagoon area with pathways made of mm-hmm. like coral rock and then they have a big coral amphitheater. Next time you come down here I gotta bring you down there. Wow. The amphitheater is super cool and it would be a great place for performance and art and they're supporters of the arts so they a bunch of local artists including Natasha, including Beatrice Chichamovitz, who came on the show, um, who does the coral art and activism, marine activism. Um, mm-hmm. She showed as well. Um, and some other guys, a guy named Magnus, who's a big name down here in my Miami art scene. Lauren Shapiro is another, another name. And then I got invited to do my first solo sound installation. So they put me in this shack <laughs> with this mach- broken machinery they're like here you can go over there and i was like that's oh, perfect it looks weird and i'll and i just hid some speakers up pointing at the roof and i and i made a sound piece Actually, well, I'll, I'll put together something we can we can listen on the show sometime if you yeah. want but uh yeah that was fun so that's where i was this weekend and and that sort of was what i feel like things were like culminating towards but that was cool i'm ready for a couple days off <laughs> Man, yeah, no, it's like nonstop. I mean, like that was what's good about was having some time off. Was just like I feel a bit recharged. Um, but then, like, so much is that, like you know, there's so much to do in January. I have the month off from school, so it's like get everything in, get streaming, get comfortable with it, like streaming. You know, three four times a week on our Twitch channel, since that's yeah. like you know one big thing we're doing this year. Soul clap music here on Twitch for all those yeah. that know now. Um, and you know, all these other projects I'm trying to just kind of work on. Um, you know, before I get back from my, from my second semester of school. So there's that. And then there's all the fucking, like all the craziness happening in the world, you know, like, I mean, I want to throw, can I throw one more of our craziness on there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We got an album that's just starting to drop. Dude, we just announced new soul clap album that's coming right. on earth day, 2021. Yep. April 22nd. But, uh, that's right. But our first there, there's going to be three EPs leading up to the full album which we're calling w t f world transformation WTF? force so our eps are going to be the world ep transformation ep force ep and the world ep drops friday yo yep. yep. this has been this has been in the making for a long time we work with lee curtis to help us uh take our some our demo ideas and produce them We've got some great team and it's coming out on fool's gold so and this is coming exciting. out on fool's gold it's yep. our first time not independently releasing our album. We actually are on a another label, so that's cool. Our third album, and we we got signed, yo. <laughs> we got signed, yo. Shout out to Mix Mag. I just saw you in the chat in the chat room using our new emotes. Cleo, what up? I see you wearing our. We got emotes. That's twenty twenty one. We got emotes. Yes, <laughs> um, we got emotes. Yeah. So I mean, Twitch is fun. It's gonna be great. It's great to have just like a reason to be going through music again. You, we were talking about this before the show, but I feel like that's amazing. Digging on Bandcamp, digging through promos, buying some vinyls again. You know, it's nice yeah. to be committed to this DJ streaming thing and excited about it. So that's cool. Totally. Um, but you know what we haven't done yet? What's that? We haven't told them, t- told them about our guest. We got Michelle Luke today on the show. Bra- Michelle is a independent journalist out on the West Coast. She started out on 
writing about music at thump.com or whatever thump's website was, but that was Vice's electronic music uh, site right. from, right. from the 2010s, back at the last decade. Um, we connected via that, but then she went independent and has been writing about weed and psychedelics and over the summer about the pandemic and politics and autonomous zones. So very excited to have Michelle on. I've wanted to have her on for a while. Um, so we'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about MAGA Burning Man. <laughs> Which we all know, it's one of the craziest days of, of my life, probably of most of our lives, right? Um, nuts, so we'll get deep on that later. There's so much to talk about. But let's let's run the intro, and then we'll run a, do a little run more. A ting. Run a ting. This is something special for you. Schmoozing. Schmoozing. So, so. Talk amongst yourselves. Dude, I got it. We could right at the end of that intro, he goes, There's a kid already go, Are you ready? We could put Alma there. Four. Go, Are you Five. ready? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, sweet. I'm gonna, yeah, she's uh, she talks more. There's some of the possibilities are endless of having oh, talking about stuff, <laughs> you know. Actually, um, our, our friends Ahmed and Michelle got us this awesome little uh handmade sampler in a little wooden box. It's like super simple. What you can just, you can just record a little sample, you can either have it on loop or trigger, and then you press the button and it plays the sample, and then you have pitch. So okay. I, I'm, you know, just recording her saying something. Hi, and then messing with it. Hi, 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 oh hi, 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 hi. And she just loves. It's so much fun. She's like, wow. She's sampling. Yeah, she's already. <laughs> That's great. Getting her to getting her in, involved. I feel like, yeah, I, I've I've seen those things before, but with the um, African uh, thumb piano. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Cleo's asking, what can she say? You know, like she's got the alpha, she's got the the alphabet song pretty much down, and she can count to ten, and she's doing like two word sentences. So she's she's coming along, coming along. Yeah, man. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> um, but um, all my credits on the samples. Yes, chat room. What is up? What is up, everybody on what Twitch? Up, chat room. In, everybody what on Twitch? TV. Um, man, Twitch life, stream life. That's the new world we live in. Yo, big shout out to Toki Monster. Um, for for that re and that recap show was so dope. And yeah, wow. that was Big that was great. Vow. That was that a great was, way to end the year. That was a great way to end the year. We were cracking up. We were talking about aliens and more. <laughs> Yo, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. So much to talk about. You know, actually, something exciting. There's one thing I just I'm just reminded there was this really exciting thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, we are only a few days away from the UN ratifying the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons officially whoa it bans the developing testing production manufacture acquisition possession or stockpiling transfer control or receipt or use or the threat of use stationing or deployment of nuclear weapons on 22nd january the u.n treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons will enter into force it's wow. amazing wow so you know there are positive things happening um that's, that's despite huge. all the craziness we are still moving in the right direction. We just got to keep pushing 
hard, not let up and keep pushing in that direction in all on all fronts because peace is what we want and peace is what we need. Peace is what we need. And you know what? Thank you to everybody that supported and sent positive energy into these initiatives that we did with Rave the Vote in 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and then again in Atlanta, thank you everybody in Atlanta. This is incredible. You know, we 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 entered into this thing pretty nonpartisan. Um at least, you know, that's the objective, but who the heck are we kidding? <laughs> like Eli and I are so like liberal, it's crazy. <laughs> We're both like Jewish guys from New England. Like, sorry. Okay. Anyway, but the point is, this is great. We ended up, you know, taking all three positions, and yeah. uh, it feels good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so twenty twenty one is the year we keep like like I said, we keep pushing. So. A lot more work to do around sustainability and climate change, especially in our dance music world as things start rolling out again with parties and also a lot to do around representation and equity and and showcasing the history and the people who made this platform Truth. of dance music and electronic music that we are able to eat off of. So let's, yeah. uh, let's not forget it's time to keep working in 2021. Um, let's maybe get to some, some music before and bring Michelle in. Let's do that Bandcamp song of the week. Bandcamp song of the week. Song. Does Mike Legend have the Bandcamp song of the week? There, does he have it? No, he doesn't have the intro. Oh, Mike, yo, there's an intro we did. I got to holler at Chris and get that intro. Yeah. But it basically is, we had James Earl Jones come into the studio and record. The Bandcamp song of the week. Too soon. Of course Mike had it. Mike's the legend. What? Shout out to our producer, Mike the legend. Mike the Ledge. Mike the Ledge. Um, so this is uh, on one of the best labels of the last few years. 20, 2000 Black, named after that Roy Ayers and Fela Kuti song. Um, and it is incredible. It is... Um, what's I'm just totally blanking on... on it's music. It's, it's, homie from, it's Dago from Four Heroes label. He was originally oh, part of Four Heroes, started yeah. Reinforced Records, one of the drum and bass originators. Then... For hero he's formed um and now he's running 2000 black for the last however many years and it just gets better and better honestly and it's been getting a lot of credit for good reason it is live electronic music with some of the best players in the uk so brings in jazz and funk and all kinds of different dopeness and this is a perfect example kdi tatham and a few of the other resonant Musicians from the label are on this one. Let's check it out. Blessings of Salvation. Nice setup. Thank you. 
Now it's just chop, cutting out, huh? Hey. Well, we were cut short. We were cut short. It's all good. Uh, oh, looks like Bandcamp maybe crashed. Okay. Technical, well, technical you know, difficulties. If, you, if you're interested, 2000black.bandcamp.com. The reason we do the Bandcamp Song of the Week is because Bandcamp is the best way to support independent labels and artists, um, especially on Bandcamp Fridays. There's none. In, there's no Bandcamp Friday in January, but the first Friday of February is the next Bandcamp Friday. We love you, Bandcamp. We love Bandcamp. Um, Both of us also coincidentally stayed up late buying a bunch of music on Bandcamp. Yes. So go figure. So watch out. Watch out, streams. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we should maybe try, out, some, Internet. Yeah, maybe try some Track Source songs of the week, too. You know, we got to shout out our boys at Track Source, too. You know, That's I got dope. love for Track Source. I got love for Track Source. Let's do that. Let's do that, too. Let's maybe bring some of those in. Um, let's get Brian. Let's get Brian on the show. Yo, that's a great idea. Right. Talk about all them sulfuric ting. Another great place to buy music. Tracksource.com. Yep. Um, but without further ado, should we bring in our guest? I'd love it. Okay. Michelle. Hi, Hi. Michelle. What's up, guys? What's going on? Oh, you know what? You just revolutionized the show because <laughs> in the t- in the your title down under your name there in the window, you put an Instagram handle. Oh, genius. Hello. I've been putting my name like a dingling for, for seven, eight months. Genius. You came on, and in one swoop, you changed the game. <laughs> changed that game. What is identity anymore? <laughs> that was brilliant. Cool. Where well, are you at, Michelle? Tell us where you're, t- where you're beaming in from. I am in Hollywood, Los Angeles, baby. Live in the heart of L.A. <laughs> That's like a proper way of introducing it. Hollywood, Los Angeles. Holly weird. <laughs> Holly weed. Holly weed. Nice. Damn. All right, cool. You got it. You took it to the next level from Holly weird <laughs> to Holly weird weed. Oh, uh, you know, speaking of Holly weird, I have a friend who's, who's living in Santa Monica right now. It's basically like, it's like living in a David Lynch movie because no one's on the streets. It's like weird, you know, pandemic alternate reality but it feels like david lynch because that's like his his stomping grounds for all his so many of his movies so that was uh i was like damn we actually finally reached david lynch reality (laughs) (laughs) when i just saw someone in your chat talk about how they changed the hollywood sign to the hollyweed sign that's so epic and i definitely saw that and i know the guy who did it (laughs) wait a minute this was like an art installation yeah, this like graffiti dude basically just like climbed up there and usually they have like crazy alarms with like what? like literally they'll send like a SWAT team if you try and like deface it. But I don't know how this guy did it. He basically like managed to just like change it overnight and Mike, can you find producer Mike, can you find a, a picture yeah, of this so we can bring it up and, and show this on the screen? We gotta share this. Yo, that's actually so brilliant. You got it. Like hats off to graffiti dudes for being the stealthiest and dudettes. Graffiti totally. folk, so stealthy. How do you like so so brave? I know. I was really obsessed with him, and I actually hit him up and asked him to do the art for my weed rave because I was like, "You're a legend." Like I need you to like what? <laughs> make the core for my party. Art. Wait a minute. 
So his name is Zachary Cole Fernandez, and he was arrested mm. for this. He was booked on a misdemeanor trespassing charge and then released on bail. So that's only a misdemeanor. Well worth it. Well worth it to get your name associated with doing this. I mean, I mean okay, so wow. is it painted over on the O's to turn him in and then E's, or did he cut it? It looks he like flags. Wow. He flagged it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow that is so next level i love yeah. it like I, you don't even have to like marijuana at all to appreciate this level of just skill, genius this level of skill at vandalism yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah awesome awesome um Maybe someone could turn the Trump into like dump. You know, every time I'm leaving New York through through Queens, um, and I pass the Trump golf course, you know, I'm just reminded of how much I want to vandalize that sign there. So I've always I will always wonder if what would you do? Somebody, I don't know, but it's got to go. It's just so aggravating every time you see it. Clever with it. Yeah. Well, you know, over the summer when I was in New York, um, I went to this protest by this activist group called Extinction Rebellion. And at the end, they climbed the globe outside of Trump, uh, Trump Hotel in New York, and they poured blood all over it. So oh that was gosh. kind of crazy. Man, we love Extinction Rebellion. They're, uh, they're the best. I mean, doing, doing climate activism, climate protests with kind of like the that British uh, taking the piss attitude is pretty awesome. Yeah, didn't uh, they throw like a disco party in front of Buckingham Palace or something? They did. They did some like yeah, they did some parties there. They they had like they had like camped out in front of the British Museum last year or in 2019. I was there. I was supposed to DJ there, but they got they got shut down. Um, I ended up DJing on the back of a rickshaw that someone was biking and powering by bike, and and just like talking smack on the mic driving through central london um and and playing protest music so that was amazing i mean i love the intersection of like protest and rave culture and i guess that's what we're going to talk about today right like yeah um, i think it it it, it's a really different vibe from a lot of the other protests that i went to over the summer that were you know very like frontline like you know, uh, just like marching on the streets, and you know that's like a whole different vibe too. But I don't know when you go to a when you go to a protest that's also a party and there's like music in it. Um, I just think it creates a really different sort of atmosphere. Totally, um, music kind of like it really does bring people together. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but when you play a music, when you play a song, like everyone is suddenly like locked into the same headspace. I think it focuses people and creates this instant sort of like communal vibe, as opposed to sometimes when you're at a street like march or something. There's a lot of different crazy things happening. Hey, think of think of the power of the music of during the psych, psychedelic rock era and folk music during Viet, the Vietnam era, you know? And the power of of those musicians and those songwriters that those became anthems, you know, that to talking about bringing people on the same wavelength. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's been I mean like aside from like a moment in hip hop, 
in the late eighties, early nineties with like public enemy and that, and that whole, that whole thing. And also like the stop the violence movement, um, in hip hop, but like, there hasn't been a lot of politics in music for, for, I guess, Rage Against the Machine too, in that kind of era, that early nineties, right? Um, but we're still playing killing in the name of now. Well, actually, wait a minute. No, it was Trump that used Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> he did? Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, there's some blowback. Yeah, he's been playing some pretty wild tunes. <laughs> I think they played like fucking ti- the Titanic theme song at the at the Trump rally in DC. Like they're just running out of ideas. <laughs> but wait, to go back to this, to go back to this uh, "Raging of the Machine," that song "Killing in the Name of." Yeah. Right. The lyrics start with some of those that work forces are, are the, the same, same that burn crosses, which is like so you know like ahead of its ahead of its time. Putting that in the like kind of consciousness of yeah. of the youth. I feel like that's so, so like important right now to be thinking like that, right? As we saw, as we have been seeing, like, you know, a lot of police are white supremacists. A lot of police are, are, you know, anti-Black Lives Matter protesters, but enabling other protesters, as we saw on television last week. Um, So, I mean, you know, it's, it's. That's the importance of political music. Like we learned that from a young age as teenagers listening to Rage Against the Machine. So then when it comes back and we're and we start thinking about police killing black people, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's what that's what Zach De La Roca was talking about when I was twelve years old. Yeah, and rewind we can rewind it even further. Bob Marley, man. Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, forget about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, a lot of the like focus that I had when I was going to protest across the country um, last year was like really paying attention to what kind of music people were playing, you know, um, and like what the protesters were identifying with. Unfortunately, I did not hear that much rave music. I mean, I heard, okay, I heard like a percolator track a lot, um, <laughs> like old school, like. You know, 90s house music they would play for sure. But um, mostly I heard a lot of like hip hop and like songs like, you know, the Cupid Shuffle. Um, songs that the like Cupid Shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, you know, we actually have these two videos that you recorded of the Cupid Shuffle. Let me um, let me check which numbers they are so we can we can bring those up because I was so curious when I was looking at what you sent. Like, which which ones are they? It's three it's three three two zero mike it's it's video three two zero zero that she sent and three oh three five i think those are those are the cupid shuffle video yeah let's check this out where is this video taken and this was like a really beautiful protest that they organized that was 24 hours long um, it was in response to the New York Autonomous Zone getting shut down. Um, and they had like all these activities throughout the city and there was just a spontaneous dance party that happened in Washington Square Park. And it was the first time that like I got to actually like dance in a crowd during this pandemic, you know, and it mm. felt so nice. Um, but right after this video happened, there was that crazy like police kidnapping where they like snatched one of these protesters into an unmarked van 
and started arresting like dozens of people and it got really ugly really fast. So I just remember that this dance as being like this really like beautiful moment before it just like switched and got really crazy. And that's the thing, right? Like, you know, you never know when it's gonna just suddenly like change. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's the thing about protests. And like, in a way, it's what makes it so ironic about the storming of the Capitol, right? It's like, almost like that's what you want to see police acting with protesters. Obviously not when they're storming the Capitol, but just like not starting violence, not not like actually attacking them, which is what it felt like we saw all summer long was the police engaging and, you know, starting the violence with protesters rather than the other way around. Yeah, you know, there's some interesting reporting about this, about how, you know, DC police's response was exactly, was like kind of an overcorrection to the criticism that they got earlier in the summer for going too hard. And then they like pulled back and then they were unprepared when it was like actually violent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of different commentary on that. Let's let's pin talking about that a little more for later. I want to keep going on, talk a little more about music at these protests because I think that's positive and interesting. And also, just like I didn't living, you know, living moving to upstate New York and not getting really to to go to any big city protests. You know, like I went to a couple in Kingston, like little marches by me, which is a teeny little city. But like you were on the front lines of a number of different protests and autonomous zones over the summer. Um, so, you know, like, what was that? What was it like being there, being there in, in, in Seattle? What was it like being there in Philadelphia in these autonomous zones? And, you know, yeah. so it's super interesting. Cause like I first came across the idea of an autonomous zone through rave culture, like, uh, if you read like sort of like the theory behind autonomous zones, it's often mentioned in the context of like raves because raves are like a utopian space that, you know, are sort of autonomous from, you know, mainstream society and we create our own values and imagine like a different kind of future, you know? Mm. So, when I heard that there was like a real autonomous zone happening in Seattle, I was like, holy shit, I really want to go. And then one of my friends who was also a music journalist wrote to me and he was like, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of interesting similarities between like a music festival and what's going on here at the CHOP. Like nobody really wants to talk about it. It's a little bit taboo to like mm. compare a protest to a music festival. Um, but he was like, the vibe really reminds me of like going to a festival, camping out in your tent and like partying and like meeting all these really interesting people and having like, you know, sort of radical conversations. So I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> like, Holy. let me go see what's going on. So I went there and it kind of felt like I showed up to the party when the beautiful, like positive sort of like celebratory part was kind of winding down and it was becoming the sort of like darker end of the night. Like everyone was a little bit fucked up on drugs and like, you know, like kind of like the, the aftermath of it. But that was still really I think good to see um, because I saw a lot of really like, I don't know, really beautiful things still happening. Like I think that autonomous zones get a lot of flack for being these like violent spaces, like, oh my God, like, 
you know, they're so chaotic, but I saw like so much beautiful, like sharing and like a lot of like queer people coming forward and like, um, you know, really like helping the homeless people that were living there. We got, we got a plur vibe them. going on. Totally. Yeah. It, it was, it was like real rave culture values. Um, <laughs> and even when people were like, overdosing and stuff, you know, it was a very sort of like harm reduction um, mentality rather than like shaming and stigmatizing or like- being Were there a lot of overdoses? Oh yeah, like I definitely saw one the first night that I got there. This is um, in Seattle? Yeah. This is like homeless folks with, with addiction issues who are there or just, or this is, is that who was overdosing? both homeless folks slash just like young kids with like opiate addiction issues. Mm. I mean, yeah, you know? Pacific Northwest, you know. Totally. Yeah. So it allowed me to kind of envision like what, how can we treat these issues differently than like calling the cops and, you know, trying to arrest people for doing drugs. And obviously it was really messy. And sometimes like I think things got a little bit too chaotic, but I don't know. Like, obviously, this is also new. I don't like, yeah. expect people to suddenly like come up with the perfect solution. Well, it, sound, it sounds like the perfect situation for something like Dance Safe. You know, someone who's out there with Narcan knows how to administer it. There, you know, we've done that at festivals where people are like, especially in the Pacific Northwest in Canada, they're like, "Hey, you know what? No judgment. Bring your drugs here. We'll test your drugs." You're going to be taking, if you're, you know, these people choosing to take drugs, at least bring them here and test them to make sure that they don't have, you know, totally. opioids, fentanyl in it and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think another interesting thread that I also thought about is how, like, a lot of the organizers of these autonomous zones um, were discouraging people from doing drugs. They were saying, you're here to be, like, an activist and we need you to be sober and, like, present to do this work. And it kind of like made me think about how different it seemed to be from like what I think of as like Woodstock or like the 70s political movements where like drugs were so part of the counterculture. But I think totally. now, you know, the way that like young people view drugs is really different. And um, mm. maybe because we saw like the opiate epidemic and we saw like what happened with crack in the 90s and it's just like not as glamorous to be like fucked up and be like eh, fuck the system you know like I think that sobriety now is seen as like a really political stance which feels very new to me and it's cool for sure I mean it feels like the 60s and this era's psychedelic era was sort of about, about expanding consciousness and a search for, you know, something deeper within the mind. That doesn't seem like to be the narrative with opioids. <laughs> no, it's numbing, numbing the pain versus expanding exactly. the pain, right? Yeah, um, very but, much you know, so. it's, it's interesting, like, the, the, the 60s psychedelic experimentation has now come back as mainstream you know, psychedelic research and even recreational legalization of, of psilocybin mushrooms in, in places like Colorado is legalized now. Is any other state legalized now? Was it, is, did Oregon legalize? Yeah, um, Oregon actually legal, was the only state that managed to create a path for medical psilocybin. Everything's kind of still being worked out, like mm -hmm. how work and who's going to be able to administer it but it's a medical model which means that it's a therapy model 
Um, and I think that's a huge difference also between what's happening now and back then. Like, I've been talking to a lot of really smart like researchers and doctors about the work that they're doing and how they're training other doctors how to use psychedelics. And some of them are like doing psychedelics for the first time and like learning like what is ketamine? Like what does ketamine feel like? And I'm just like wow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I read a couple of the your ketamine articles. They were at the top of your, of your website, and there's some some interesting and and weird stuff going on there, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool that all these doctors are kind of figuring out what ravers have always been figuring it out on their own. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I think yep. we were, you know, the ravers are out there. They're not as interested in maybe at a rave in micro dosing. Maybe we want a macro dose <laughs> out and about. <laughs> but it seems like any a lot of these things are just have a completely other different properties and value medicinal values when micro dose for sure. I mean, it's, it's it's such a strange we're in such a strange place as a society in America um, when it comes to pharmaceuticals to help with people's pain or help with with the mind um you know i i guess my my only worry is i i think it's great to move into these other <clears throat> substances and away from some of the you know like move t moving towards psilocybin or towards ketamine or mdma um and away from some of these bizarre brand names you know <laughs> that that doctors are prescribing people with but i also wonder if ultimately the problem isn't getting fixed that caused people to want to take these substances in the first place. Well, and also I, and I'm not, I don't mean like maybe PST of a veteran or something. I just mean that like the problem that causes the pain in the first place, like where can we look there and is there a way to do it without substance? I mean, therapy can help, but I also think that like a lot of what I've read about, about psychedelic research um, is that it, it is it is looked at more as like you know single treatments or less often treatments, not taking a pill every day to to deal with depression or addiction. Yo, I'm all for people going in like rewiring with their with, yeah, some, I mean, with, yeah, with uh, mushrooms or LSD or something. You know, this is these are life usually positive, big positive sweeps or sweeps of where that people are discovering a new a newfound spirituality or love of the arts or love appreciation of of love itself. You know, very positive. What I what I'm what I what it's funny to go back to what we were saying about counterculture not embracing drugs in the way it did in the sixties is like now like the psychedelics and that whole thing is kind of like the main is is like, the, like the mainstream. That's the establishment, not even the mainstream, it's like the establishment. It's like legal and being studied like by the establishment, whereas the counterculture is like no no drugs. <laughs> <that happen? laughs> it's like when your kids when you when your kids you listen to like Whatever. If you if we listen to like house music, or you know, almost your daughter almost probably gonna grow up listening to like cha chamber music or something. <laughs> Folk guitar. <laughs> no, no right. electronics. Well, I don't know. I'm really interested in creating like a new sort of uh, vein of rave culture centered around psychedelics and weed. I guess like you know, uh, two years ago I started this party called Weed Rave that was really inspired by all of the like crazy weed parties that I was going to in California when we just became legal. And I was like, these parties are really fun. There's like a lot of free weed going on, but the music kind of sucks. <laughs> Let me bring in the girls and like, you know, get some really hot DJs and like, 
create a party centered around weed. And it was really um, kind of like an experiment in the beginning because a lot of people were like, oh, am I going to get too fucked up and just like stare at a wall for like the whole party? <laughs> With that Cali weed, you got to watch out. <laughs> yeah. And I was really worried that people would like lose their minds or like freak out or anything like that. But what I realized is that actually like weed is a really, really social substance and people like even the act of like passing a joint like makes you kind of like interact with strangers in a different way and you know people act really goofy and like you know it's hard to like be snooty to somebody when you're really strong so, totally. you know people were just like really really friendly to strangers and like, there's a lot of like community like people taking care of each other and being like are you okay which i guess you know people do on ecstasy too but it's a different vibe with weed and much um, heavier vibe yeah, and I'm really excited for all the shroom stuff that's happening now in California. Like, my dream when this pandemic is over is to throw a shroom rave. <laughs> that would be insane. Yeah, for sure. Right? Or, or as we like to call it, a rave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, psychedelics are such a... Go ahead, Michelle, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, so much of rave culture is, like, um, centered around, like, ecstasy or cocaine or drinking and i'm really interested in psychedelic parties i think that they are a different like vibe you know i mean it's not like it's a new thing obviously like the loft had a ton of acid there's like ton there's like no way back in detroit that's like a super psychedelic party and like i think there's some interesting sort of connections between like you know the way that psychedelics are really durational and raves are really durational and you kind of like lose your ego into this sense of universality like it just really kind of like fits <laughs> it really does no i, I mean psychedelics like I mean, for me, the first time I went to a rave, I, I took, I was on LSD. Uh, so it was, it was like a very integrated, very integrated experience and has continued to kind of be integrated with that experience of like that, that unity and that like losing yourself that you talk about is, is so helpful when you're out there just dancing, like no one is watching, right? That's like the whole goal, right? We always say about raves, dance like no one's watching. And when you're... When you're tripping, it's really, it just happens. <laughs> right. And it's also kind of like a really comfortable space to like experiment and understand these, these substances. Um, you know, I think that like, it's really interesting what your gateway into psychedelics or drugs can be. And I think like rave culture was really formative to like my understanding of drugs and also just like all of my um, beliefs honestly have been really shaped by by the rave community like I kind of came of age with like the American rave scene you know um, I started my first job as like a music journalist um, for Vice and like just kind of became like woke through the rave scene like understood like like what it meant to be like a marginalized person and like the values of that, you know, of that kind of um, community through like witnessing the rise of like the New York slash like Bushwick queer rape scene. Um, so basically my whole like life, like <laughs> lens through which I understand life has been like super shaped by rave culture and um, now I'm in like a different sort of like psychedelic scene, you know, and like 
um, trying to sort of explain to people like that, that, that rave culture is not just about like hedonism and like getting really fucked up and like escaping from reality and not giving a shit, but that it's also like really political um, and meaningful. I mean, I feel like it's gotten so commercialized, um, both because of EDM and also because of like the, the European Ibiza scene, you know, it's really, really took the values out of the rave over the last decade or so. Um, but I think, you know, the underground continued to be there, but like a lot of people's introduction to electronic music was via those th- either, you know, like Solomon or, you know, there's, like, there's still a, a fair amount of or that. like EDM in the U S you know, a like, fair so- amount of that plur vibe at, in the EDM scene more so than in the bottle service Ibiza vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Look, it, was and- really, it was really I- interesting when we started Pump, which was, um, Vice's electronic music channel. Um, we started it in like 2013, I, I think. So right as like the EDM wave was like really cresting. And to be honest, I think that a lot of people at Vice like did not understand EDM. Like Vice was started by a bunch of like skater dudes who like listen to punk rock and they're just like, what is this fucking bullshit, you know? Yeah. Hey, so, look, we're house DJs, been into this shit since the 90s, and we looked at EDM and we're like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Oh, you know? for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So well, I, I'll speak for myself. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. A lot of people within the rave underground were also like, fuck this. But we were covering a lot of like Miami Music Week, Steve Aoki, Avicii, like all that kind of stuff. Some of it was like, you know, they thought that that's what would make them money, I guess, as a vertical. But I said, like, there's a way to cover this shit in an interesting way. Like, all because it's kind of like, you know, Vegas, like, very like spectacle oriented, doesn't mean that it has to be like, so like i don't know i just felt like there's a lot of condescension to it but like it was a really interesting phenomenon like this was the first time that like american mainstream youth culture was like getting onboarded into rave you know and i guess like the whole thing about how like this is like a gateway for people who like maybe go to like edc and then two years later are listening to someone like IO and then two years later from that are listening to like a really hard techno. And I think if you actually go to some of these like really crazy EDM festivals, you will hear sounds that are really experimental, you know, like it's not all just like brain fart, like dumbass music. Like there's a lot of like really interesting sounds happening and experiments happening within the EDM space too. So I've always been like the high low thing like we can do both we can cover the fucking bushwick gravers we can cover the european like time warp festivals and we can cover what's going on in miami with the edm too with avicii i mean avicii's drug problems let's talk about that you know let's talk about addiction and mental health within the edm scene yeah yeah i think that's i I respect that you're finding kind of something of interest and 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 you're keeping an open mind when approaching that stuff and i think that that's exactly how 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 you sh- how it should be done. That's I'm with that. But I, I, I can I pump the brakes and rewind for a sec. So we're looking here at this at a weave ra- weed raid that that you that you um, threw, and uh, I'm thinking about like okay, so we go to a weave ra- weed rave. If you get too high, all right, you can have like um you know a glass of water, sit down, a little timeout, maybe take a CBD and just calm calm the fuck down for a little bit. 
all right, cool. But now I'm thinking back to like my youth because like I also agree with your sentiments earlier that you were shaped by the rave. I definitely was. I know Eli was. He started even a few years. You you were going. You were sneaking out of your mom's house at like 13. 14, so 15. for a 14. So for sure, you are like at this point now more rave than not rave. That's very true. As you as a human being, <laughs> guys, I'm 24 years deep on the rave, right? <laughs> for 24. sure. So like we're right there with you, but. When I think back to the old school 90s rave days when there was different people and look, you know, some there were people going sober for sure. But a lot of people were taking drugs. A lot of people and some people were more in this vibe. They took that. And then there was the trippers. The trippers all kind of had their own agenda. But the trippers were like psychedelic. They were like psychonauts. You know what I mean? They were like had a sense of where they were going. They knew where they had been. They had been. And <laughs> they knew it's like some sort of. Um, way to mitigate anxiety because let's not be let's not get it twisted when we're talking about using psilocybin as a therapy this is under you know controlled conditions where there's someone to guide you, you have a guide not or, to yeah, say that you don't have a guide when you're out there to rave somebody that's just kind of keeping watch but like a psychedelic party where everyone's taking mushrooms plus like the people that don't never taken it before there's going to be some freakouts. How what do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I haven't thrown the shroom yet, rave yet, but I would definitely want someone like Zendo Project, which works with Maps, one of the leading psychedelic organizations, to specifically deal with like difficult experiences. Um, and I think that also rethinking like the aesthetic and the sort of environment of a rave is really important to like make it feel really comfortable um i've been thinking a lot about like rave aesthetics and how you know the whole Bergheim 90s industrial like post-apocalyptic like aesthetic used to be seen as like very futuristic and cyberpunk but to me it feels a little bit archaic like old school now you know when i think of what i want my race future to look like, I want it to be in a fucking forest. I want it to be in a fucking desert. Like I still want yeah, it to have like cool lights and like tech and stuff like that. But to me, the future is a bio future. It's an eco rave, you know? And and I think like creating those kinds of settings that are really um, like nurturing feeling and maybe more feminine also, um, allows people to feel more comfortable and to sort of relax and having like spaces like at my weed rave I always have an indica room which is an ambient room that's <laughs> <laughs> well, like the chill it's like the chill out room like traditionally yeah, exactly. you know yeah and one one last interesting tidbit I was talking to a researcher who is a psychiatrist at an ER hospital, at an ER um, room in a in hospital. And she also is a raver and she used to go to the shelter, which was this club run by the oh, yeah. collective. You guys know it. And she right? said that her experiences in the chill out room taught her how to deal with people in the ER. Like she would what? sit on the ground with them, mm. which is not something that doctors do. She would sit on the ground with them like she was in a chill out room and like talk to them heart to heart the way that you would on ecstasy in the chill out room. And I was oh like, that's so goodness. cool. That is hilarious. This was such an important part of the rave too though. Like was like you would be kind of brought in by older people, by more experienced people who if you were having a freak out or something was wrong, they would, they would be able to talk you through it like you you fi you'd find your friend who brought you there 
or your friend or somebody, you know, or somebody you met when you're freaking out would be like, yo, I've been through this or like, you know, I've, I've dealt with this and I can help you through that. That's something that I think was so important. And, you know, because it was this underground culture that you kind of had to be brought to was possible. Right. So I, I, that's something I think it's so valuable about just underground culture in general and like how raves were that potentially gets lost when it gets more commercialized that like, if you can just buy a ticket and go, just because you like a DJ that's playing, you maybe don't know how you're supposed to act or like what the expectations are. And there's a power in having this kind of collective expectation. Especially when the DJ is uh, Colonel Sanders from KFC. <laughs> Yo, if I was tripping and that happened, that would fuck my whole shit up. <laughs> you know what's messed up? That whole thing was like designed to totally stimulate people that were high too. Like the graphics they use with the, you know, eyes expanding and... Did you hear about this, Michelle? At Ultra Ultra Miami a few years ago, they had they had like Colonel Sanders from from KFC. Yeah, like, KFC was like uh, one of the big sponsors. DJ. It was like an ad, you know an ad in between DJ sets, but it was actually Colonel Sanders came on and DJ. It was it's fucked. <laughs> but even after EDM festivals, I still think the EDM bros are still like, "Yo, you okay, man? You want some water?" Like they're still looking out for each other. Yeah, that's what there's I meant about the love and support. That's true, and you know, like for me, like I was it really going on performing on Holy Ship and just like going on Holy Ship for 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 I think we went five years in a row. Like really opened up my mind to to that community and how connected it was to the original spirit of the rave. Um, like Ship Fam was like a real like a real community and really had those same values of looking out for each other and like, you know, checking somebody that's like, yo, this, this is not how you act here. Like this is about, you know, respect and, and loving the music. And that happens. I saw that so many times there and it was yeah, really, really cool. And like that kind of, and you know, hanging out and performing with different EDM DJs on Holy shit kind of changed my whole perspective on everything. So that was cool. And off, you know, I think it often takes seeing the other side, like getting to know people on different with different perspectives and ideas, you know, both in music and, and in the in the world, in the world, like general world around us can be so important. And, you, you know, know, I think like maybe this is a good seg to talk about Playgrave. <laughs> Playgrave. Oh, um, because I mean, I'm living like, in Miami, Michelle. So nonstop yeah. Playgrave 24 yeah. seven. Real. Are there, have there been a lot of playgraves like going on there? We're, 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 we're open. In Miami, we're they're open. legal, right? You can we're, have them. I don't know if, if you can have a playgrave. <laughs> but, <laughs> but isn't any rave in a playgrave? Exactly. Everything's open here. Everything's been open. There was a brief period where things were closed and now it's it's just been open. And then there's like, you know, places like Fort Lauderdale or Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida. There's like, they got an advertisement that plays in the evening around the news and they're like, Come to Hollywood. We're open. Open for business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I heard about Miami raves, Miami playgroups because of a lot of like sort of social media call outs of DJs who are flying to Florida to play at these parties. And, and this is like know, a, a hub between here and Tulum as well. Totally. And I just think it's so interesting slash sad that, um, you know, the rave per ethos has been totally inverted by this pandemic and, you know, communities or, or, or this idea of caring for your community at a rave, like no longer really applies when going to a rave means that you're actually like a super spreader. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, raves are no longer seen as like community spaces. They're seen as like hedonistic, like individual, like selfish spaces. Yes. 
Um, that's very, and that very really well sad said. Because I think rave has become a really dirty word in this pandemic. Like if you read the New York Post, there are all these like articles about parties that are happening that, um, yeah, like this one was like super infamous. Like my homie actually threw this party <laughs> and he did not expect thousands of people to pull up like this, but like so many people are just dying for some kind of release. I think that yeah. they just flock to it. Yeah. Um, got a lot of really negative press because, um, you know, people were obviously like not really. Wait, is that just air guitar? <laughs> But, but you know, our girl Lauren, our girl Lauren Flax was actually on. Maybe I can find this on IG. Our girl Lauren Flax was on um, one of the local, the CBS local news in New York, talking about oh, this. Yeah. They had like a whole story on on CBS news, not about this one, but more recently, because like over Halloween and from Halloween till now, there's been tons and tons of of illegal parties in New York. People are just doing it. Like there's to the point where it's, I think it's gone now, but people kept reporting it because they got called out. The the COVID DJs NYC. Instagram account, which was just calling out DJs for playing playing yeah. parties, yeah. and then they had the, the COVID DJs Florida account as well. That kind of spun they off got that. COVID DJs Fort Lauderdale. COVID DJs Fort Lauderdale, right? But look, I mean, look, we're speaking a minute ago about like the problem that leads to the drug use in the first place, right? And like putting an emphasis on some sort of support systems in our society, and like the need for that. I mean, that can be applied. I mean, this I understand from it, the industry's standpoint, venue owners, promoters, people that have, you know, need have need income. You know, it kind of like can kind of I feel like we can almost point the figure finger to the government for not being able to help support people financially during this period of time. And in terms of like younger people that are just feeling so cooped up and fatigued by the pandemic. I mean, look at the way that once again, point the finger. I mean, I feel like we can point the finger at our government because the way that this whole thing was handled. I mean, not to say that the rest of the world is open and raving freely right now. I mean, some, I mean some countries are. If you go to like fucking Asia, you can party indoors. No mask. <laughs> well, where? In Taipei, my home, okay. my homegirl's working door at a club, and she sent me the craziest videos of people just partying, no matter. Is, is that is that because that there's no threat of a pandemic, or just yeah, because it's lawless? No, no, because the government actually managed to sort of like you can do. rave indoors with no mask in Miami, no problem. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, the way that I feel about like the playgrave thing is like, I don't think that rape should be happening right now, especially indoors. Um, but I also don't think that shaming DJs for playing these parties or shaming people for going to them really works. Um, I feel the same way about drugs, right? I don't think that you can shame someone to like, uh, not do drugs for whatever reason, especially if they're doing it because of like some kind of really deep pain or like loneliness or like some kind of, you know, they're trying to cope with something. And like, I think that shaming someone just makes someone like feel like they need to go deeper underground and keep it a secret. And like, it's the same, yeah, like I said, it's the same thing with drugs and rape. So I just, it's not, people have kind of misinterpreted my stance a little bit to be like, oh, she doesn't think swimming works, she, she's pro party. But no, I'm actually saying that we need to find new ways of like helping people to deal with this crisis. And also, 
if you are going to go to a party, let's talk about harm reduction, right? Like how do we create a new culture around raving that is a little bit safer? Because I did go to a lot of like parties over the summer when they were outdoors and like we could mask up and stuff. And um, I felt like there was a really sort of like interesting gradation of like different um, parties like actually taking precautions. Like some parties, especially like the old school house music, like dancer type parties were very, very community and safety oriented. Always, yeah. And they would be like handing out masks and like actually going around the dance floor and reminding people to distance and stuff. Whereas That's like dope. if you go, if you go to like a really sort of like hedonistic, like, you know, like, like the parties that did not give a shit about any safety, like those were just like totally maskless. We don't give a shit. Everyone partying. So there's a difference, I think, between different plague rain and the media obviously doesn't understand that. The media- well, I also think like, well, the people you talk about who are like this old school house crowd in New York, it's a very unique one that that's there. I mean, there's smaller totally. around the country, but that's a very unique thing. And these are people who grew up clubbing because of the community. You know, that was like a big part of it. The community was built around around that in the 90s, you know. And so I think there's a lot of that. And even before, a lot of those people were even taught by the folks who were going to the loft originally. So this is passing down this culture that I think as it got more mainstream, like I was talking about before, kind of maybe got lost a little bit. This ability to pass down this caringness about other people yeah, who are there to party with you. And like to go back to the, to the Playgrave thing, I wanted to – here's the COVID DJ's – uh um and you know they're this is like they're calling they posted this of course um you know but they what what kind of alarming about this is a lot of the people they're posting private messages and stuff in their stories a lot of people who are getting mad at them for like you know posting these videos of the parties and calling out djs and calling out the parties you know a lot of these people are covid denier folks you know who are also kind of taking a very kind of I guess, right-wing stance, you know, MAGA stance about this whole thing. Like, this is my freedom. I'm going to party. Fuck fuck the liberals for telling me that I can't party. So I think it's like in a scary way, it's now intertwined, right? So like when you then see like these kind of weird MAGA Burning Man folks, (laughs) as you call them, Michelle, which I love, like right here. I think think a lot of these people have already been sick too. They've but already like, had then COVID how are you going to deny that COVID yeah. exists, right? How are you going to deny masks if you've already been sick? Or maybe, maybe without a, yeah, I guess that's a very good point. You know what? Like, <laughs> I see both sides of this. Like, I really do. Like, I do feel like if it's legal in Miami, you know, to have parties and you can be outside and do it and you and you want to do that, that's your choice. Right. And like, as long as you are a little bit considerate and saying like, well, maybe if I got exposed, I'm not going to go to the supermarket. I'm not going to do these things. You have to be a little bit like thinking about other people. But if you're doing that and going to the parties and like, this is my priority, I need a party. And so I'm going to think about the other sacrifices. Right. I'm, I'm down with that. But once you're getting on planes, once you're like out doing normal things and partying, I think that's just like inconsiderate. And that's like a very selfish kind of way of looking at this whole thing. Like we are in the end all in this together, like as a country, regardless of what people want us to think. And like getting, like being exposed to COVID and then going to the supermarket and getting a, an, a, an older person sick or anybody sick is is really like you know is selfish and irresponsible so like look party if you want but like 
think about that privilege that you have to party and then, totally. and then use that to guide the rest of your life. I'm, I'm down for that, right? And Michelle, you nailed nailed it with this idea of culture, a new culture around harm reduction. If 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 that is your decision, I think you totally nailed it. Yeah. But it goes back to this, like you know, I'm not going to judge somebody. Everybody has their own reasons for doing things. And if you're consider if you're considerate and thoughtful, you can do the you can you can do what you need to do for yourself. That's I think that's appropriate. Yeah, it's also what, really interesting what you said, Eli, about how this is playing out on a national level, like these issues. I feel like we're kind of at this really interesting, like, intersection, not intersection, but like a, like a split in the road or something um, in terms of like, as we, you know, move from the Trump to the Biden era and people are calling for national unity at the time when it just feels like everything is so splintered and polarized. Like, what is the solution to reaching out to people who don't think the same way as you? Is it to shame, to dox, and to deplatform, Or are there other ways to kind of moving through this? I don't have the answer, but as usual, I think it's very interesting how rave culture acts as a sort of like, um, like a microcosm of what's going on, I mean, in the zeitgeist. I think like, I, you know, I feel like I want to believe and like, as I've gone through, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm currently getting my, my master's degree in, in climate science and policy and like thinking about this policy stuff and like the politics, it really, the you know, I, I kind of went into this, like, how can I bring like a more, more education about the climate and the policy into music, right? But the more I think about it, it's not policy that's going to change people's minds. You know, we're so polarized politically. Culture is what we need in order to, to bring people together. And I think you mentioned that a little earlier regarding like protest music and how music can, can, can bring people together in ways without thinking about why they're together. And that's almost what's like so like perverse about a lot of this partying, like, you know, in Tulum and like this like thoughtless, just like I'm going to do whatever I want for myself because it's like the flip side, like you want to see this culture bringing positive change, but like just going to a party without thinking about the consequences in a time like this is a negative change, right? Like we need to think about how music can be that positive force. And I agree with you. It's not about shaming, like that's not going to solve anything, but it's like, how can we as the artists, musicians, and DJs be using this force for good in these times, right? And come out of this time with what we've learned and using it for good. And obviously there's a lot of people who are not thinking like that and don't care and never will. But I do feel like those of us who are, there's more and more people who think like that. And COVID was a chance to like double down and learn more about that side. And there's a lot of folks who are going to come out of this pushing the more progressive ideas of what dance music was built on and what it, where it should and can go moving out of this pandemic, I hope. Yeah, my prediction is that once COVID ends, everybody is going to be fucking partying. Party culture is gonna become the main form of culture and it's gonna be really interesting to see like the explosion of nightlife again into like completely like a new era, you know? Like there are gonna be so many interesting new party collectives and just like, I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend, I, I'm just holding on right now, like being super healthy and like working out and like doing a lot of like you know really good girl shit because like once this is over i'm gonna fucking party for like a year period <laughs> oh my goodness i agree i think that after this there's going to be a big boom in entertainment and community driven events but i was listening to npr uh and on a drive to uh go I, I bought some speakers for for the all the live stream busting and on my way up i was listening to um a story 
and uh, I have to go look it up. But basically, some expert who was like looking at uh, the time frames of previous um, pandemics through history, um, and basically th- the idea there is looking at those examples. This this is going to be this is going to be going on for a while. You know, not only the length of time that this the pandemic that will have to be, you know, cautious and before we can really return to full on sweat, sweating on each other, spitting spitting in each other's mouths like good old days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It seems. And and like, you know, that there's there's this the period of the pandemic itself. And and then there's, you know, the economical and, and the societal and mental and all this other, you know, I have to, let me look up this book. It was really interesting. Hold on a second. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. We can always look to history. There's been pandemics before, but we're in such a different time now and things do feel like they move faster in the world that we're currently in. And, you know, I mean, we'll see, we'll see if people want to get the vaccine. We'll see if the vaccine works. We're going to know a lot more, I think in a few months, you know, hopefully by the summer, it's like, there's going to be legal outdoor events around the world. And I think that's the time to really, make that happen right is like is is responsible legal outdoor parties and I, I you know i've heard that you know new york is going to be issuing a ton of licenses for outdoor events over the summer it's they're going to be like you know it's going to be free for a lot of these licenses that were really expensive or like you know much cheaper and like really encouraging community um organized gatherings um which i think is you know potential for an incredible summer you know and i mean i think we saw you know last summer as rates went so far down, it was it was safe to party with masks on responsibly. You know, we weren't seeing huge spikes in cases until yeah. the weather got bad and people went inside and started acting the same way, if not more irresponsibly. Right here, here it is, guys. Sorry, it's called it's called the guy's name is Nicholas Christakis, and the, the book's called Apollo's Arrow: The Profound and Enduring Impact of Coronavirus on the Way We Live. We can put the, the link in there. That looks well, cool. he was ready. He wrote that book in a, in a few months that it's already out now. He's like, oh, great. Right? Right? Okay, write the book. <laughs> He's been yeah. working on it. He's in. Was, in on it. I was just going to say, I also read a really, um, there is some hopeful news, right? Like I, um, I read an interesting study that was done in Europe. I think it was in Germany where they um, did like a controlled experiment and they let a bunch of people into a concert, indoor concert with um, with like a designated drinking area where you could take your mask off. Um, and they did like Corona tests, like a, like a rapid test before you went into the, into the party. And they were able to successfully throw a concert with no infections. Basically. Yeah, no, there's a number of these. There was one in Germany and in Spain most recently. Um, Primavera Sound Festival, I think, helped oh, organize. Oh, that's the one I was thinking of. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Barcelona, um, they did a, a thousand-person event where basically you had to take a test. You know, I think – let me look at this article. Um, it's a, a thousand people social distanced and – they basically had to pass an antigen screening, um, and then, and then got to go to this event, and there was no, there was no COVID passed. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, that's one of the rapid tests. And you know, actually, I DJed a party up here, um, in in upstate New York, where they did a they did a double a double testing situation. It was a festival, like outside of a summer camp, there were like maybe three four hundred people. And they did the same thing. You know, you had to do a mail-in test and then you did an antigen test at the entrance. 
Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're, you're really, I think doing that, doing it that way is, uh, is, is pretty much safe. I think they're finding in these studies. And the only question with that though, then is then it gets expensive, right? And who's going to pay for that? And then it becomes pretty elitist to be able to party, right? And then you're bringing out actually some of these problems we're having with equity and representation further to the to the forefront instead of actually dealing with those issues, right? It's like, how do you be more inclusive and party safe? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. For it's hard. Sure. I think you're, yeah, that's totally spot on. I've also heard of like really elitist Silicon Valley type parties that are doing COVID testing at the door so that they can like, allow all these rich millionaires to party and do like to TV together. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, then at the same time, you have all these like, you know, completely lawless like playgrades with like a lot of, you know, broke art kids or whatever. And it just, yeah, it's such a, this pandemic is such an amplifier of like class and economic differences. You know, yeah, any tip to any muggers outside of nightclubs in the future, just look for people with yellow noses. Bam. <laughs> what? Right? Pink noses. Just look for pink noses. That's my advice. Oh, no? you mean they like took the thing? Because it means that they've taken 2CB and that shit's really expensive. <laughs> Wait, 2CB is pink? <laughs> I thought you're the expert. Which is probably like the world's biggest prank by whoever the chemist is. He's like... Pfft. I'm going to make this stuff really expensive and pink. <laughs> it's like they've been like sniffing Smarties or something. What's the weirdest drug that you guys have done um, recently or ever? Weirdest? Oh, I suppose once upon a time I tried Salvia. That was strange. <laughs> that was really weird. Did you have a good I, experience? I feel like most people have I, really scary I was still in, in college and... Um, and uh, I I tried uh, I tried with a water pipe water bong and 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 then you know with with I was like someone was like it, did you feel anything and I was like no and then next thing I know it was me hiding around the other side of the couch peering out <laughs> looking back at myself oh my and I was God. like. This is weird. <laughs> I want to take this moment to shout out the chat room because we got a bunch of people watching on Twitch. Shout out everybody on Twitch watching. Um, everybody in the chat room, what's the weirdest drug that you've taken? Let us yeah, know. That's and a weird we'll, one. We'll shout it out. Oh, if you're, if there are like 2,000 people watching right now. That's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, Lost Resort does a great job. Sometimes we get some front page placements sometimes and, it's, and it really bumps us up. So shout out everybody seeing us from that front page placement. It's uh, Schmoozing with Soul Clap, and we're here with journalist Michelle Luke talking about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> what are Russian eye drops, Spacey oh, Beans? Spacey Beans, what are uh, Russian eye Let us know. What are those? What are Russian eye drops? Um, we got some other people talking about 2CB in there. You know, that's one of the weirder ones I've taken, but also, you know, like people who make 2CB also make other weird variations of like putting other chemical bonds together to do similar kind of things to 2CB. I, I remember something called like Dalt or like B Dalt or something like that. That someone gave me a Burning Man. Like, because you know, you oh, get yeah. all these weird uh, scientist chemist folks at Burning Man who are like, you're right. trying this weird chemical, you know, compound. I research, research, 
yeah. chemicals, These analogs, drugs. Yeah, that's what mine was going to be. I tried this thing called 5-MeO-PCP at one of these um, summer raves that I went to. And it was kind of like ketamine, but different. And yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like a huge thing now, these research chemicals. Oh, another one that I really like is um, I've been getting into like the alt cannabinoids, like besides THC and CBD, there are all these other cannabinoids in weed that are really fun. Um, and TBN, CBG, Delta TBN, a, like, all this shit. Wait, 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 wait. Go slower. TBN, <laughs> CBD. No, CBN, like CBD, but CBN. I know CBS. <laughs> <laughs> I want to like, but this was like called designer yeah. drugs. This was the old name for this stuff, right? It was all designer drugs because they were totally. just like design, and that's like I guess ecstasy was MDMA was kind of originally thought of like that. Yeah. Yo, yeah. Mike, Mike, ill in the chat room, right? LBC, he just moved to Long Beach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what else the chat room is, which I think is an interesting one because nitrous is something that's been in the rave scene for a long time. Even before the race team. Like, laughing gas has been around since, like, the 1800s. Like, totally. there's, there's books there's about, like... I feel like it's trending again, maybe more in the, like, Silicon Valley scene. Did you hear about the Zappos guy? The Zappos what? founder? Zappos, um, the shoes? Died. I heard he died, yeah. yeah. He died, and it was apparently because he was, like, doing mad fucking whippets, like, in his garage and, like, exploded himself. Well, um, I don't know if it worked that, that way. way. That like made a lot like of people attached be like, what to a is tank nitrous? or something? Because nobody had ever even heard of nitrous like in the mainstream, you know? So a lot of people were suddenly hitting me up being like, what is nitrous? What? So really? I mean, you know, honestly, I'll, I'm going to be real. Like that was got kind of got, got me through a month of, of the first month of quarantine was getting a cracker. And no way. I went to Whippets and like, you know, we, we actually had these, a friend of ours or, organized these quarantinis like every Saturday, like, you know, ma- like, you know, Started out as a few people on Zoom and then grew, you know, we were just, you know, have drinks. And then someone was like, hey, I got my Whippet Cracker. And, I was, and they were like, you can just get it on Amazon. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, wow. So it's we got our Amazon. It was like, there's some weeks of fun with that. But you don't want to go too deep on that. But just a, one more, two more points on Whippet. You don't want to go too deep on anything. No, it's true. But like, that was invented in 1799. There's a chemist inventor named Humphrey Davy who started experimenting with nitrous oxide as laughing gas. My friend who's really into it has a book that's like poetry and cartoons from about nitrous <laughs> from the 18th and 19th century. No way. Wild. Yeah. And I mean, so there's just like a historically funny, funny drug to do. But I will say on the flip side, it's totally terrible for the environment. You cannot recycle these canisters. Mm. You're just throwing these out. It's just like metal that has to get thrown out. So look, if you're going to do nitrous, buy a tank and... Recycle your balloons so you don't use all these metal canisters. That's all I'm saying. It's hilarious. <laughs> Yo, Dan Bain in the chat room. Nitrous founded, funded many a rave. Five dollars, yo. Yep, yep. I also got to ask Kraft Cheese, what is Sananga? Sananga. I don't know that one. Yeah. But I didn't hear these. I want to hear these uh, marijuana analogs, too. Yeah, we had a question about that. Um about the um wait what, what was the question yeah how what are the how do you get these alternate cannabinoids are they oils how are they taken and also what are the what's what does it fe- uh, what does it feel like differently i mean they all are different right and i think it's really cool because we're just starting to understand how complex cannabis is as a plant 
Um, obviously, like CBD had like a huge moment, and everyone was really obsessed with it. But here's my take on CBD. I think it's kind of scam. <laughs> well, not really. I mean, CBD obviously works really well for like you know cancer patients or people who are taking it in like really high doses. But like when you do like a little CBD tincture and you do like a little bit on your tongue, like it doesn't really have that much of an effect. And I think um, there are other cannabinoids like CBG and CBN. You can get them as a tincture as well. And for some reason, they just hit harder for me. Like they have the same feeling as CBD, but like it's just like a body hot, like a body relaxation. Um, and then there's this other one called THCB that I'm really obsessed with as well because apparently it uh, makes me spinny. It reduces your appetite. <laughs> I know THCA is like the active ingredient in like the the what that's a very what's the uh what's the brand something in Sons or Brothers or something it's a popular California brand. Anyway, they do like medicinal and the CBDA is more like C or THCA is more like CBD until you mix it with a warm beverage and then it's activated and then it becomes more like a THC. But I beg to differ on the CBD front because there is a brand down here that I love. It's called Just CBD. I wish they would sponsor me. They make the best sugar-free gummy bears. I buy them all the time. And if I'm having trouble sleeping, two bears start to get drowsy. Three bears... I'm falling asleep quickly. Four bears. And, and <laughs> You're, I'm You're straight up. Four drooling. to five bears starts to feel like fetal position. Oh, fun. I'm glad that you have something that works for you. I'm not, I'm not going to knock CBD too hard. Um, another brand that I'm going to recommend and shout out right now is called Level. They specifically focus on like alternative cannabinoids and their little tablets. Someone told me that they know a lot of people like in Silicon Valley and San Francisco who like love taking like two tabs of like some weird cannabinoid and like going dancing. That's like their ecstasy. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. Yeah. Bring up craft cheese. Thank you. Sananga is made from the root of the bark of the Tabernay Montana Sananoho shrub. So tradition, traditional eye medicine is beneficial for inner and outer vision. Okay. It's great for... A bunch of causes, yada, yada, yada. But is it a, do you get high? Is this the inner and outer, oh, outer vision. So this is a psychedelic. Fire eye drops from the Amazon. <laughs> Just squeeze a frog, bro. Just squeeze a frog right in there. I've got a plant, um, a plant that I got at the um, nursery here, botanical nursery at the Center for Subtropical Affairs, which is like a venue and also a nursery and it is called the angel trumpet and it's beautiful it's got these long trumpet flowers that point down towards the ground but there he's like watch it this is very psychedelic bad psychedelic bad oh yeah isn't I'm that like, what i'm gonna think i'm gonna like just start munching leaves in the garden or something like but he's like yeah watch it don't let the dog eat it don't eat it yep. watch out <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat your plants. They have this angel's trumpet all over California. I think it's native to Cali, and people are always like, "Oh yeah, you can trip on that, but be careful because it's really poisonous." Yeah, poisonous, aka you're gonna trip your cones. (laughs) No. Yeah. Now, who who was the who were these first? I would love to 
like find the stories of these first humans to like try all these things. <laughs> so Probably a raver. <laughs> yeah, some Neanderthal raver is like rolling up with a binky. <laughs> I mean, like well, rock binky start- stone. <laughs> When you start talking about though about like the like medicinal qualities of psychedelics, like this goes back, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years. Once you start doing the, the understanding and and reading up on the research that's been done about psychedelics, you know, there's a there's a lot of of work and understanding. And like this this foundation was laid by indigenous folks in in the Americas, especially, but I'm sure all over the world. But over, like you know, over here and like you know, Mexico, Central America, Northern South America is all, you know, there's a rich tradition of, of using psychedelics as medicine, right? Like literally as medicine for people. And, totally. and, and also and- interestingly pairing the psychedelic experience with music. Like I've been um, researching a little bit of like, you know, like ayahuasca music and like, this sort of chantings, people like Maria Sabina, who is this like Mexican shaman who had like really beautiful chants that she would sing during ayahuasca mm. um, rituals. And I think there's a really, really interesting connection between like the role that music plays during the trip to guide you. Mm. Well, look, chanting of, of shaman during psychedelic rituals, um, you know, is all about repetition, can be. And that is right there with electronic, exactly. electronic music. Exactly. The, like, sure. I've definitely been like super deep in a trip at Bergheim or something and being like, wow, I feel like I'm in some primal ritual right now. <laughs> Casey, oh, Casey Michael in the chat is saying Icaro, Icaros is what yes. the ayahuasca chants are called. That's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. I wanted to rewind back to Raskin music in the chat room that says Angel Trumpet. I got blind. Bro, did you take did you eat your 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 flower? Did he eat it? Did you actually try it? I want to know. <laughs> you know, I'm curious about this Icaros and we actually here I found a I found a YouTube video. Let's let's bring up this Icaros music um for a sec. I'm going to give that to to Mike. Mike the Ledge, producer Mike. Um, I want to hear what this sounds like. I mean, this is like, this is, and also like when you talk, when you, when you, when I've been also reading about like more contemporary, uh, you know, studies and healings of using psychedelics, you know, there is the guide or like the medical professional and there's still like music and like comfort is considered even in the West, even in the U S now experimenting on it. So we, are, we are in the hands of the mother and father. Y rezo las cuatro direcciones universales para iniciar esta ceremonia musical y abrir ese espacio sagrado de conexión, sanación y liberación. Un encuentro con nuestros ancestros, nuestras raíces y nuestra herencia milenaria. Gracias. Gracias, Pachacamac. Gracias, Pachamama. Limpiennos, curennos y sanennos. A todos los enfermos, a todos los oprimidos, limpienlos, cúrenlos y sanenlos. Libérenlos. Gracias. Man, the jungle must sound so Gracias, wild madre tierra. If you're Gracias por tus plantas. Por su oxígeno. Por sus medicinas. 
por el alimento que nos provee el día a día. Gracias. Gracias al agua que bebemos. Al aire que respiramos. The shaman? Al fuego que nos cobija. No, that was me. I don't know. Oh. Chat room's cracking me up right now. Craft cheese ass. Raskin, are you still blind from the trumpet? Michael says, I don't think he would reply to that. Que esta noche, de todo corazón, cada uno de ustedes encuentre su renacimiento. Su iluminación, su camino y sus respuestas. Casey, Gracias. Michael, I think, I think you're spot on. I think this is just getting ready. Knuckles whistle song. We get a good idea of this, Mike. I think we, we can yeah. we can move on and chat a little more. I mean, it's beautiful, yeah. but then it's like it reminds me of how like there's there's been this kind of perversion of the sound with like pan flutes and tech house. Totally, <laughs> like, that's what they're listening to in the room with their fucking masks off while they're spreading COVID. Shamanic, shamanic anthems, yeah. Like it's been it's been perverted, right? Like a lot of this shamanic like ayahuasca ideals, you know, <laughs> without <laughs> respect. For, <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's uh it's tough you know it's tough like because i do feel, i do feel like it's powerful and like it opens people's minds and a lot of the time it can lead to positive change but i feel like it's often almost abused like by by people's privilege and by like white people rich white people who aren't necessarily respecting or acknowledging or or you know giving back to those cultures that we're then taking that we're taking this from so I think it's important to acknowledge it, right? Like I feel like that's often what's 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 you know not done is like acknowledging where we get these things from. Totally. So the question becomes like, how do you incorporate without appropriating? Because you know we were talking about how I want to throw a true rave one day, and I would love to be able to bring in an element of like you know these kinds of chanting and music that have been proven to work to guide a trip. But I don't want to tread into this fucking like burner ass like flute shamanic house bit either, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting kind of a quandary. You know, I mean, there's there's got to be there's indigenous folks who are involved in you know in the culture and who are trying to spread this in like a in a in a modern connected way. And I think that's a way of doing it. Like you know, like we saw we had the, we had these 
these musicians call a tribe called Red on the show um, around Thanksgiving here, just to kind of talk about like the indigenous experience. They're they're Canadian, but are indigenous. Um, and you know, to talk about their experience in dance music and how like that that indig- their understandings and their community and like their messages can then be translated and and done in a in a way that's authentic and educational in a way you know and and and, i mean because they're coming from this place already so it's not appropriation so i'm sure there are people who are connected that you could then you know collaborate with that would that would be able to you know who are dealing with this we're dealing with how do you share this knowledge in a way that's authentic and and powerful but but responsible Totally. I'm just like, I have this fantasy, this vision of like having some Icaros on like a techno dance floor. I think that would be so sick. <laughs> right. And what's well, also like claiming that back from the fucking Tulum, from the Tulum plant fruit, plant flute burners, right? You gotta, it's gotta be reclaimed back to the people who created it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or what? Like, like native Peruvian shaman? No, I'm not. I'm saying like you, it, it's got to be in context, right? I'm saying there are native people. There are native people, people who are connected to the culture, people from the history, from that, who are like also the way tribe called Red. Could, could yeah, you know, there's, got, there's, there's these folks got to exist. So I think yeah, it's just yeah. doing some. some well, uh, look, whether it's whether it's Native American chants or the pan flute of like you know Mayan ancestry or African drums or even gospel music. I mean, there's power to these music to this these types of music you know i mean there's the power to in, in all music but there is something particular to these things that you know lends itself to appropriation you know because people are tapping in this is the content mm. that vibrates in a particular way that i think gets a a, a reaction you know but ag- agreed i mean you know you're not we're not supposed to misuse these these powers yeah craft cheese in the chat saying uh, I have a degree in classics, been studying Tantra yoga. They have a lot of this info and practices of equality and enrichment. Yeah. I mean, I think yoga is another interesting one. Like there's, there's yoga practitioners and teachers who are tapped into a lot of the traditional stuff and, and honoring it. And then there's others that are just kind of appropriating it for their own. Oh my God. Can I just say that I always have a yoga session at my Libre party. Uh-huh, and nice. at the one in New York, we had, you know, the, um, the artist Earth Eater. She live toured it, and then we had like a really avant-garde like dance instructor teach it, and it was probably the trippiest yoga session I've ever been to. But people <laughs> were down. People were down. They did yoga fully on the dance floor, just like as the uh, DJ in the other room was like blasting house music. Like it was just That's like, great. Totally you know, you know who's really involved in these two worlds? When you mentioned it like that, is is Marcus Wyatt from LA? Oh yeah. He's he is he is you know very involved in the yoga and like shamanic world and also in the in the house music world. I think both in very authentic ways, and he could be somebody to connect. I'm pretty with sure he's sober though, maybe. Um, yeah, no, I mean that's that's a theme that keeps coming up in your work as well, Michelle. I, th- I will connect you with Marcus. He's amazing. Yeah, Marcus totally. Like, I mean, let's shift rave culture towards a modality of healing and like health rather than it always being about destruction and escapism, which I think, you know, hedonism has its own purpose as well. And it can be very powerful as a yeah. sort of form of catharsis and release. Um, 
But there's this whole other side of like waiting. I'm the girl who's always doing yoga poses on the dance floor. You know? <laughs> and um, I don't know. I think it's cool to be able to create an environment where when you leave the rave, you feel really like healthy and replenished. But I also, like, I don't want it to be the fucking, I hate those, like, sober daybreaker, like, 5 a.m. raves, you know what yeah. I'm talking about? That shit is whack, dude. <laughs> that shit is, like, let us let, let us make you into a more productive corporate worker. That's their mentality. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, very much about, like, still fitting into the capitalist mind frame. I'm not down with that shit. Yeah, but we're like we are children of the rave, so like we have you know the privilege of of being free in our mind in our expression. Whereas like a lot of the corporate world is buttoned up real tight, man. You know, so if they can get up and they want to wake up and they're and and they want to freak out sober in the mornings before they go sit in an office all day, I mean, it could be worse. I suppose. Well, and I've got to say, my favorite my favorite partying is waking up. At you know four or five a.m. and going to the after party. So totally, that's, that's the real winter hack. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you missed the 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 doo doo hour. I love that. I love that. But you know, to go back to what you're saying, like I think that that like hedonism. You know, as you get older, like there's other forms of hedonism other than just like pure partying, right? It's like how you eat food, how you socialize with your friends, how you you know, enjoy things in different ways, how you work out, how you participate with, with yoga or other spiritual practices can all be connected and hedonistic. And I think as you get older, you start really exploring and valuing those things. And it's like, how do you then translate that into something that can be enjoyed by a wider range of, of people True. is part of this question. Right. To me, I think rave is more of an ethos than like a specific sort of you know, type of party. It's more about the sort of mentality and the sense of community that you're bringing, um, which is why I really need to like really stress that we need to reclaim this word rave because if you look Yo. at the media right now, rave is like really, it's like a dirty word and they're mm -hmm. calling things raves that are not rave. They're calling mm -hmm. any kind of like shitty party that people are throwing in the pandemic and like, you know, infecting tons of people. Like they're just like, oh, it's a rave, it's a rave, it's a rave. And it's just yeah. like, oh dude. No, it's really not, not, right? It sucks. But like the, the 10 o'clock news always did that, you know, going back to uh, hard, hard, what was it? Hardline or what was the, the famous interview with Barbara Walters? Yeah. You know? That was, that was great. Cause before, first of all, at first the news was like going to these raves and like, no one was drinking. Everybody, yeah. you know, there was, you had like energy smart drinks. Smoothies. This is like smart drinks. Oh, Eat early, energy, smart drinks. Like, this is great. Kids are dancing all night and not, and not doing alcohol. And like, so that was initially like in the early mid nineties. And then all of a sudden they realized that everybody was taking ecstasy <laughs> and it became like this, there was this big expose. I think, yeah, like Charlie was saying, I'm like frontline or one of these shows. Yeah. And that was it. Barbara Walters. And that, you know, similarly in the UK, then like there was a moment when rave became a dirty word once ecstasy was, once it was realized that everybody was on this drug. Um, I mean, like, you know, that was a big part of like with us. Oh, with rave 60 vote, minutes, Ke Kelly P with the correction. 60 minutes. But like, you know, this rave the vote initiative that we did is like using, you know, at first th there were some people on the team were, like we shouldn't call it rave the vote because rave maybe has a negative connotation, but ultimately that's what it was, right? It's like DJs playing dance music, electronic music connected genres and using that for positive 
positive action and coming together. And like, that's what rave is. And I think we can continue to, re to, to reclaim that, but also plur, like peace, love, unity, respect is the centerpiece of all this, right? Like as corny as it, as it can be and like thought of, like that is, that's the message, right? It's like how you talk about the loft and it's like, love is the message, right? That was what Mancuso brought to this, what Ray's brought to this, peace, love, unity, respect. That's the heart of it. And if we can always push that, you know, and remind people of that, that can maybe help. Yeah, I love what you guys were doing with Rave the Boat. Do you want to like tell us a little bit more about what that was? It was a live stream, right? And then you got people to kind of sign up to vote through that. Yeah, it's uh Yeah, yeah for those me. Yeah, for those I mean for those people who are just hearing about it for the first time. So like we organized last year it was originally going to be a lot like an in-person tour around the around swing states to get college kids and young people to register to vote. Had a bunch of big DJs who had signed on. We were going to try to get a tour bus and just go around the Midwest, but you know, ultimately having it move online, we ended up with a great partnership with with the with Lost Resort, who helped us organize it. And we had a whole team. Everybody was all excited because no people didn't have projects to work on during that first part of of COVID, you know. And like, um, so so many people got involved and excited and helped us make it happen and make it a reality. And it was broadcast here on Lost Resort TV, and there were like you know, 40, 50 DJs that participated in four different episodes. Um, and because of that, you know, because it was virtual, because it was happening on Twitch, people could then just click the link and go and register, um, like immediately. So I think it ended up being much more powerful because the, it was virtual. So, I mean, that's like, we know like young people helped swing this election and will continue to help swing elections. And it's just like educating and encouraging young people to the power that they have as voters and our responsibility that we have in the U S as voters, both for ourselves and also for the people who can't vote you know, people who've been disenfranchised or the people who don't understand about it. So how do we spread that and how do we take responsibility as ravers for voting and making change? Yeah, no, I think the reason why that really resonated with me is because when I was on the protest trail over the summer and going to all these autonomous zones and protests, it kind of made me sad to not really see that many ravers out on the streets. Maybe they, maybe there were um, secretly, and they, I just didn't recognize them or something. But like, I didn't really hear that much wave music. And when I did hear wave music, it was like older '90s kind of music. It didn't feel like connected to what's happening now. And so I was just like, "Where are my ravers at? Like, where are they? Like, I saw a lot of like punk kids. I saw a lot of like whatever, but I didn't see them in ravers. And um, I think, um, yeah, like rave has so much to add to this moment. Like throwing a rave is a means of community organization and mobilization. It is like one of the greatest ways to bring a group of people together. And even when I was in the New York Autonomous Zone, they were like really interested in throwing a rave at the zone because they were like, we need to bring people into this space and we would love to have a dance party. Mm -hmm. um, so sort of like um, figuring out how rave can like contribute to, you know, the fight for social justice is I think one of the most, I don't know, meaningful things that you can do right now as a community organizer, as a party promoter. We, yeah. need, we need like a modern KLF resurgence, exactly. you know, someone that yeah. represents those values and brings them in, in their artistic expression in the music too, you know? You know, funnily enough, that's what we're trying to do with our new album. So, I mean, sure. hopefully we can have a little impact with that as well. 
with this idea of, of, you know, it's WTF, but it's World Transformation Force. So it's like, shit is fucked, but we need to come together with, with music and with what we're doing to help change the, you know, bring positive change. So we'll see. Hopefully it resonates. It's a test. It's a test in all these things we've been talking about, that if it actually works when we put that in our music. For sure. Wait, what's the new album? So it's, it's called WTF, World Transformation Force. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit cheesy, but it's also like really to the heart of what this is, what we're trying to say and accomplish. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's ex- it's exciting for us now. We've been working on it for a while and kind of formulating these ideas and even like kind of getting deeper on them on schmoozing on the show, like has helped us kind of crystallize and solidify and kind of learn from a lot of folks who are who are thinking about these things and trying to use the culture for positive change. So, yeah, man, I was gonna say I love this show. I love that so many DJs are starting their own Twitch streams and podcasts and newsletters. And you know, as a journalist, I feel like sometimes like we had too much of a monopoly on like, you know, media. (laughs) And now it's really cool to see like so many grassroots things happening where people that, who don't identify as journalists, like you guys are doing work that I would associate with journalism, Mm, you know, and like opening the field to like other types of, you know, perspectives. It's cool. Thanks. Yeah, no, I want to, I want to, we're, we're nearing the end of the show. And there's one thing I really want to cover that you segued nicely there, which is like you as an independent journalist have, have started utilizing this platform called Substack, which was recently, like I, I found out about it through you from, you know, getting your newsletters and then signing up when you started the Substack, because it's always great to find ways you can directly support, you know, the creators and artists that you let, whose work you admire or enjoy. And Substack is how it's you can do that with journalists or like newsletter writers now. So tell us a little bit about Substack and how you kind of see it being a possible way forward. Yeah, for sure. So my Substack is called Raise New World. Mike, if you want to pull it up. <laughs> it's called Raise New World. And I started it at the beginning of this pandemic because all these magazines were shutting down. And I'm very traumatized because I feel like I already lived through so many like layoffs in the media, just like crash and burn. You know, I saw so many amazing dance music websites, including Stomp, the one I worked for, but also like Fact Magazine and Fader and all these other places just kind of like collapsed in the last few years. And so when the pandemic started, I was like, fuck, like, what am I going to do? Okay, let's try this like Substack thing. Which is oh, so, like, sorry. We just Mike just brought up brought up one of your newsletters that we're going to talk about after you yeah. finish this this <laughs> Ill, illest illest headline of 2021. Yeah. That's my oh prediction my God, thank you. going forward. Um, <laughs> that's going to be hard to top. Yeah. <laughs> Let me. Yeah. This is yeah. This is great. Oh, so this is your Substack page. So that's your latest. Yeah, your latest one. Okay. So, but yeah, yeah. tell us. Keep, keep going. Sorry to interrupt. Um, but it's so funny, man. Like I was talking about this with another journalist. If someone had told me like five years ago that my primary means of journalism would be sending mass mail, I would have been like, "What are you talking yeah. about? Like literally, what? Like this is the future of journalism? Sending chain emails." <laughs> 
but it's cool because I think that it allows creators who have a really strong voice um, and perspective to speak real, really intimately. And I find myself like getting a lot more feedback for my friends and for people like you who read it compared to like when I wrote for like Vice and it would just be like throwing shit into the void, you know? But with the mm. newsletter, you really get the sense of like community. On the other hand, I think that sort of the drawback is that it does create like a silo effect where everyone's mm. like in their own little corners and you don't have the same kind of feeling like 10 years ago when there would be like one article that everyone <laughs> was talking about and reading, you know? Right. And I think like right now there's just so many little little corners of the world. And what really I think would be cool, and it already is kind of happening, is a lot of like newsletter writers or like Patreon creators are, are banding together to create more networks. To mm. me, I need more of that collectivity because if not, you still feel very like isolated and siloed. But the newsletter has been really cool because it's allowed me to just like work really quickly and do whatever I want. Like I wrote like a piece on pandemic rave culture and then I wrote one about like the fucking, you know, the MAGA Burning Man shit. And then I wrote about like all the crazy like shroom parties that I've been going to. It just it really allows me to just like do whatever I want without waiting for like the establishment to approve or understand like what I'm trying to do. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's great. I mean, it's great. It's been great to kind of see it develop firsthand and, you know, to talk about your newsletter, this is the last thing I've, I've been waiting. We've been waiting to talk about this, the whole show. <laughs> I finally here. Mike, can you bring up my screen share, please? Um, this is just the best. This is the best headlines. This is such a great, great way to start 2021. And look, this is like a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting moment that we experienced last Wednesday. I mean, not it's, it's a, astounding astonishing dumbfounding moment but i can't say that i was that surprised as i watched it right like you're just kind of like watching this like it's in slow motion like insane moment unfold in front of your eyes like a car crash right that's what i was looking for you know a car crash unfold in front of your eyes in slow motion and like you can't do anything about it but you know it's happening you see it happening and I think you covered like a, how a lot of us were thinking with your title of this newsletter, DC was MAGA Burning Man, right? So like when you see these pictures of this guy. Who literally calls himself a shaman. He, he's a shaman. His like YouTube and his social media, he's really into psychedelics. He thinks yeah. of psychedelics as a way to like throw off like mainstream thought patterns and to like get into like really crazy QAnon conspiracies. This is the dark side of psychedelics, mm. right? Like, mm. Cause like really diluted thinking too. Let's find this. I mean, we've all seen the memes of him. It's been, a, I mean, it's been maybe the best, probably like peak peak meme right now. <laughs> this is like peak meme was this, this moment. And like, look, I, it's hard. Like I don't want to make light of it in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, really horrifying. like horrifying to see these crazies taking over the Capitol and basically being allowed to walk in, you know, by the, by the police. And like, if anything illustrates, you know, the importance of the black lives matter movement and the importance of talking about these issues and, and, you know, police brutality and white supremacism, supremacy, supremacy in the police force and defunding the police and like how we can reimagine what policing is. This is like, you know, for me was like, couldn't have illustrated it more clearly, you know, seeing this, this juxtaposition of the summer versus this moment of these people just walking in 
you know, overpowering a, a, a too few police to take care of it and then just walking in and, and not even being arrested, leaving the Capitol, right? Just letting, allowed to walk out. We'll see. We'll see as this thing unfolds exactly how it was orchestrated and, and how that we, we ended up with this result. It's, just, um, it's you know, people are getting arrested now, to be fair, now after the fact, but like they could have just, they could have just like, you know, arrested them walking out and not had to chase them down and use all these resources to find people. Like, what? Why didn't they do that? But I mean, let's like, go back you to see your. Everybody your, was like shaving their, they had these long beards. They shaved the beards. <laughs> right. Wait, no, go down, go down. There's yeah. like a picture of lower down that I like am obsessed with. This other guy who didn't really blow up as much, but his look was actually insane. Go down more, go down more, 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 more. That, like- guy, that guy. This guy. He's got the fur. He's got no shirt. And then he stole this like police riot shield and bulletproof vest that he claims he found on the ground. And he was walking around with this staff. All um, he's maga. Yo, yo, look, I got it. Maga Moses. (laughs) Well, literally, I've, I've done some research on this guy, and I found out this guy's father is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi in South Williamsburg. Oh, no. He is also a New York State Supreme Court judge. His father. Yeah. What? I know. I know. Um, it's a little bit scary that these people yes. are very connected to power. But, oh, thank you for the ticker tape, Mike. Subscribe to Rave New World. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like what one of your, someone in your chat, Kelly, said about feeding into the attention economy, because that was what my sort of essay was really about, which is, you know, these people pull up in these, like, insane looks, because they are stunting for the gram. These are looks that are made to go viral on TikTok, and I think that what QAnon conspiracy theorists understand really well is that this is a meme war as much as it is, like, a political war. Like, the culture wars are happening online. They're happening with, like, the attention economy, and all of these looks... Nice, Mike. Good. The arrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, observe. So, yeah, that's like the Sorry. connection to Burning Man too. That it's like about spectacle and it's about stunts. And um, I think that um, unfortunately, like stunting really works these days. And um, mm. I don't know. I think that like what another thing that I've learned from rave culture is that like spectacles have meaning and political purpose too. Like people automatically think that if it's Burning Man or if it's a costumey sort of spectacle that it's meaningless and that it's dumb. But as we definitely learn through so many raves and so many parties, like spectacles are a really essential part of like the culture, you know, um, they have a lot of meaning. So I don't know, to me, I think that like writing off these looks is like pure like clownery kind of like maybe misreads like how actually serious and dark this shit is. Yeah. I mean, that's why I kind of preface it. Like I, 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 the it's like almost like we have to see the humor in it because it's so fucking dark. Right. It's like, how do you survive something like that? How do you like deal with this? How do you think through this without taking a somewhat humorous look to like be able to, mm-hmm. to process it? Mm-hmm. Cause it's so, it is so profound this moment in our history. What do you think's going to, what, what's next? Um, well, what's next is that we're going to have a new president in eight days. <laughs> Amazing. What's next is that Democrats 
have control of the Senate and the I mean, House. Is this is this the, the end of this kind of activity? Oh, know? no, definitely not. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm not. Look, I'm not an expert. I'm not a political pundit. I'm not a psychologist. I, I couldn't tell you what's next. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I'm afraid. Of for sure. Too. But when it comes down to policy and our actual government and things like good things are going to happen the next two years. That is what I'm excited about. That is why I'm hopeful. That is the power of the people who came out and voted, of all of us who came out and voted for positive change and more progressive politics and policies. So, but I think it's really important for people not to slack off just because we have a dem in the in the White House because we need to hold these people accountable to their yep. fucking Amen. and make sure that they're not just like posting on pure representative politics. I think that like if you look at a lot of Biden's cabinet picks. He definitely like was playing to the idea of like, oh, the first woman or the first like, person of color in this office. But like a lot of these people's like actual policies aren't that great. So like, let's not let them just like fool us by putting, you know, a woman in office and then it's okay. Like, no, these people actually have to follow through mm. on the policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, for sure. I think it's true. We need to hold them accountable. Um, I do think like to quick shout out though, he did appoint the first indigenous person to be the, the, um, to head the Department of the Interior, which is an incredible step. Um, just even if it's just symbolic, right? Like that is so important. And, you know, look, it is, these are establishment folks. These are a lot of folks who were involved with the Obama administration. And that's like a point that, you know, a lot of people on the right are people who are more like further to the left get mad about, right? And like, of course, we need to acknowledge that. But the reality of our system is it is a two-party system and it is built, you know, off these administrations that are, people that have been involved in politics and have already built these power and have have and are connected on both sides you know both the the corporate side and the the government side and it's fucked up but right now it's the system that we have and we can fight you know to to build a better system but the only way we're going to do that is by continuing to you know push progressive ideas whatever party is pushing more progressive ideas and ultimately you know we got to keep pushing that party and that's the democrats that's what we have until we have something different that's the reality. So I get really frustrated with folks, you know, who are, you know, look, I'm as progressive and liberal with my ideas as anybody, but you can't just say fuck the system because then we just end up with Trump, right? You know, that was a lot of people's solution. We got it. We finally, we're blowing it up. You know, yeah. even people in love are like, okay, well, this is the moment when now we get to, we get to like, you know, break the system and we can move forward. No, you saw what happened. You know, he made so many people's lives worse. This administration made so many people's lives worse and the planet worse and so many different things. Already, look, the Democrats, the, one of the first bills they're going to pass is banning the federal death penalty. So, like, if you want small victories like that, then that's what we're going to get True. now, right? So there's Preach. moments to be hopeful. And instead of being upset and scared every day for what the next thing that's going to happen is, we can at least have small victories, you know, that hopefully lead to bigger victories. And, yes, that doesn't mean we should be complacent. But let's, like, acknowledge, like, you know, that the, the, the two sides – Maybe the lesser of two evils, but one is much more fucking evil than the other side. <laughs> Dude, that was a Jerry Springer final thought moment. That was incredible. <laughs> yes. What a flow, dude. Love it. Also, we all need to push for weed legalization because I think that's going to happen. Yeah. No, for sure. This is going to happen with this administration most fucking definitely, it. dude. And not just weed legalization, but also criminal justice reform around weed 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 criminalization right people who've been convicted of weed crimes need to be fucking freed Get from out. prison 
Yep. Totally, totally. It's really interesting how all of the weed money is also funding like COVID relief programs. You know, people are starting to see that there are a lot of benefits to legalizing. I mean, I think all drugs should be legal, personally. But I, I'm probably with you with that one. Yeah. But yeah, legalize all plants. <laughs> <laughs> legalize plants. I'm all for that. You know, that's a big part of this. And also, you know, Kelly shouted out in the chat room, I just saw, you know, giving, giving, acknowledging it right here we go recognizing that we must give the land back to the indigenous people to restore our climate like that's looking at the expertise and the knowledge of indigenous folks and the people who are here before us to help help move all of us forward and giving them that power is so important so yep. hey we're uh we're two hours in that was yeah. a great schmooze michelle great schmooze <laughs> Thank legalized you schmooze legalized schmoozing <laughs> can we got bumper we should need bumper stickers i love that that's a good one um yeah it was so great to have you thank you so much for for stopping in yeah and yeah for all you viewers if you are if you want to support michelle you want to read more rave newworld.substack.com that is her newsletter right there at the bottom at michelle luke on socials um yeah, keep up the great work. Really, yeah, and and Michelle, we'll we'll send you our addresses if you want to just um you can pop the wearable ketamine um <laughs> drips into the in the mail. You could send it to us after the show. I'll just send you mad drugs in the mail, no problem. <laughs> if it's all legal, then we can finally do that, right? <laughs> right. Cool. Thanks again. You have any final thoughts you want to share with folks? Um, I think I've pretty much shared all of it, man. Just like I said, we all need to be as ravers, like leaning into this moment right now and really activating our communities, reclaiming the rave and making sure that, you know, it goes down into history is like, you know, a, a political mobilization and effort rather than just pure escapism. Yes. Can we, can we see you liquid before you go? <laughs> you mean like <laughs> yes um thanks again we'll uh we'll we'll talk soon michelle peace michelle thank you. thank you um Dope, everybody dude. in the chat room thanks this was like a great this was a great participation let's keep trying to push for that talking about drug experiences yep fun and funny and this we is the appreciate moment. you go into your closet take out your pants cut them along the sides put in the <laughs> inserts make your pants bigger the next wave of rave is upon us <laughs> <laughs> coming up coming up next week on schmoozing we have Artalon, um one of our faves that'll be a fun fun homie schmooze yeah um and Coming up on Thursday on our Twitch, twitch.tv slash soulclapmusic, we got our EP release party. You get the first sneak peek of the EP on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern time, and a live performance of the song Gardening by Life on Planets. Yeah, check out check your inbox, Eli. We did a, we did a, dry, a dress rehearsal earlier today, and nice. it's going to be a, a dope little live, live show. For sure. And yeah, we're streaming all the time on the Soulclap channel these days. 2021 is the year of Soulclap Twitch. Brap. So get it, get it. Thank you all so much again. Thanks, Mike the Legend. Thanks, Johnny Mac. Thanks, Kenzie. And especially thanks, Michelle, for stopping in. We got our vinyl, vinyl thoughts. thoughts. Yeah, political, we're, right? We're keeping it on the political theme. We're going back in time to another uh, great, uh, 
greatly ter- horrific, terrible moment, and that is Watergate and the evil Nixon. Um, Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson, Winter in America, is the album, and this song is called H2O Gate. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Peace. <laughs> Don't want to be involved in this one, man. This here, this is this is gonna be a blues number. Yeah. But first, I want to do a little bit of background on the blues and say what it is. Like there are six cardinal colors, and colors have always come to signify more than simply that particular shade, like redneck or got the blues. That's where you apply colors to something else, you know, to come up with what it is you're trying to say. So there are six cardinal colors, yellow, red, orange, green, blue, and purple. And there are 3,000 shades. And if you take these 3,000 shades and divide them by six, you'll come up with 500. Meaning there are at least 500 shades of the blues. (laughs) For example, there's the I ain't got me no money blues. There is the I ain't got me no woman blues. There's the I ain't got me no money and I ain't got me no woman, which is the double blues. And for years it was thought that that black people was the only one who could get the blues. So so the blues hadn't come into no international type of fame. But lately we done had Frank Rizzo with the lie detector blues. We done had the United States government talking about the energy crisis blues. And we're going to dedicate this next poem here to to Spearhead X. The X second in command in terms of this country. And the poem is called H2O G-A-T-E Blues. And if H2O is still water and G-A-T-E is still gate, what we're getting ready to deal on is the Watergate Blues. Let me see if I can dial this number right quick. Click. Click. I'm sorry. The government you have elected is inoperative. Click. Inoperative. Just how blind will America be? The world is on the edge of its seat, defeat on the horizon, very surprising that we all could see the plot and still could not. Let me do that part again. Just how blind will America be? The world is on the edge of its seat, defeat on the horizon, very surprising that we all could see the plot and claimed that we could not. Just how blind, America? Just as Vietnam exploded in the rice, snap, crackle, and pop could not stop people determined to be free. Just how blind will America be? The shock of a Vietnam defeat sent Republican donkeys scurrying down on Wall Street. And when the roll was called, it was Pepsi-Cola and Phillips 66, Boeing, Dow, and Lockheed. Ask them what they're fighting for, and they'll never mention the economics of war. Ecological warfare, above all else, destroy the land. If we can't break the Asian will, we'll bomb the dikes and starve the man. America, 
the international Jekyll and Hyde, the land of a thousand disguises, sneaks up on you but rarely surprises, plundering the Asian countryside in the name of Fu Manchu. Afraid of shoeless, undernourished Cambodians, while we strike big wheat bargains with Russia, our nuclear enemy, just how blind America. But tell me, who was around where hell bogs died? And what was the cause of LBJ's untimely demise? And what really happened to J. Edgar Hoover, the king is proud of Patrick Gray, while America's faith is drowning beneath that cesspool, Watergate. How long will the citizens sit and wait? It's looking like Europe in 38. Did they move to stop Hitler before it was too late? How long, America, before the consequences of keeping the school system segregated, allowing the press to be intimidated, watching the price of everything soar, and hearing complaints because the rich want more? It seems that Macbeth and not his lady went mad. We've let him eliminate the whole middle class. The dollar's the only thing we can't inflate while the poor go on without a new minimum wage. But what really happened to J. Edgar Hoover? The king is proud of Patrick Gray, and there are those who say America's faith is drowning beneath that cesspool, Watergate. How much more evidence do the citizens need that the election was sabotaged by trickery and greed? And if this is so, and who we got didn't win, let's do the whole goddamn election over again. The obvious key to the whole charade would be to run down all of the games they played. Remember Dita Beard and ITT, the slaughter of Attica? The CIA in Chile, knowing nothing about Allende at this time in the past, as I recollect. Augusta, Georgia, the nomination of Supreme Court Justice to head off the tapes. William Calley's executive interference in the image of John Wayne. Kent State, Jackson State, Southern Louisiana, hundreds of authorized bombing raids. The chaining and gagging of Bobby Seale. Somebody tell these Maryland governors to be for real. All of these events just to prove that water buggers in the Watergate wasn't no news. The thing that seems to justify all of our fears is that all this went down in the last five years. But tell me, what really happened to J. Edgar Hoover? The king is proud of Patrick Gray while America's faith is drowning beneath that cesspool, Watergate. We leave America to ponder the image of justice from its new wave of leaders. Frank Rizzo, the high school graduate mayor of Philadelphia whose ignorance is surpassed only by those who voted for him. Richard Daly, imperial Napoleonic mayor of Chicago who took over from Al Capone and continues to implement the same tactics. George Wallace, Lester Maddow, Strom Thurmond, Ronald Reagan, an almost endless list that won't be missed when at last America is purged. And the silent White House with the James brothers once in command. But see the sauerkraut mafia men deserting the sinking White House ship and their main mindless megalomaniac Ahab. McCord has blown, Mitchell has blown, no tap on my telephone. McCord has blown, Mitchell has blown, no tap on my telephone. Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Mitchell, and Dean, it follows a pattern if you dig what I mean. Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Mitchell, and Dean, it follows a pattern if you dig what I mean. And what are we left with now? Bumper stickers that say free the Watergate 500. Spy movies of the same name with a cast of thousands. 
And that ominous phrase that if Nixon knew, Ag knew. But Ag didn't knew enough to stay out of jail. And what really happened to J. Edgar Hoover, the king is proud of Patrick Gray. And there are those who swear they've seen King Richard. 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 Beneath that cesspool, Watergate. Four more years, four more years, four more years, four more years of that. 